Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. I would uh, be totally out of place if I didn't remember to do this this week. I was reminded today that several weeks ago I forgot, last week I forgot to mention that we are in the midst of a celebrity. Uh, Jenny Rushalo, a couple of weeks ago, won an award for Dancing with the Stars. Here she is standing right over here. She... Jenny, you even got a spotlight. She, she reminded me at the beginning of church, she said, Dale, you, you didn't mention me last week. I said, I'll, I'll do it today, Jenny. And she said, Ann, can I have a light? <laughs> yes, yes, we can do that. Congratulations, excellent work, excellent work. Uh, sometimes the spotlight, though, is a little harsh. Like the spotlight for Jenny, that was, that was kind of nice, right? And um, we get to praise her for dancing, raising money for the Murphy. And sometimes the spotlight is good. Other times, though, when the spotlight is shown right on you, it can be bright and harsh and burning. We're going to look at a spotlight out of the Scripture today. We're going to spotlight three areas about who God is and what He's about. And then we're going to allow that spotlight to turn on us and to see if it can root out those dark corners of our, and recesses of our heart that we have not given over to Christ, that we have not offered of ourselves to Him. So uh, be in prayer and preparation for God's spotlight from His Word to shine on you today. The spotlight on Moses probably didn't feel too good. That's where we're going to pick up our story today in Exodus chapter 3. If you want to go on and turn there, Exodus chapter 3, we're going to spotlight three areas that reveal who God is. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to spotlight three areas that reveal who God is. We're going to look at his motives, why God does things. We're going to look at his mission, how God does things. Mission always starts with God. And then we're going to look at vision where God takes people. That's the areas of spotlight we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 3. Now, if you have been in church a long time, you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you've been in church a while, you've probably heard the story of Moses. If you haven't been to church in a long time, or maybe you're kind of new to the area or new to um, Jesus, maybe you haven't heard the story of Moses. But the story of Moses takes place in uh, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books we find in the Bible. This is called the Law or the Pentateuch. Um, this is called the Book of Moses sometimes, all five of these put together. Uh, Mo- the reason why they call it the Book of Moses is we believe Moses wrote quite a bit of this pas- these passages of Scripture. Um, he probably didn't write all the passages of Scripture in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy because at one point it says, and Moses died and was buried. And he probably didn't write that line. So um, we believe he wrote most of it. Uh, Jesus accredits the book of Moses, the book of law to Moses, so that's why we accredit it to Moses. Uh, the, where this starts, though, it's this grand story about how God does things. This grand narrative about how God reveals himself, how he rescues people. There's these great themes that happen over and over again in the first five books of the Bible that actually sets up for how we live in Christ. 
the themes and patterns and types, the examples and warnings found in Exodus are eternally relevant even today. God's words that he wants us to understand for Jesus occur in Genesis and Exodus. We hear about a word like ransom and redeemer. We hear about Passover lamb. All of these themes are begun in Exodus. Maybe even before that. So if you haven't been in church in a while, or you don't know this story, I'll I'll start a little ways back, and we'll catch up to where Moses is in chapter 3, but you've got to give me a couple of minutes to get there. In the fall of mankind, when sin entered into the world, and the world became broken, and every person was broken after that, God found a family that he set apart, and he said, I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. And that family's name was Abraham. This happens in Genesis chapter 12. God pulls Abraham aside, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world. Every nation will be blessed by your family. Meaning, someone from your family is going to come along and is going to save the world. Abraham eventually had a son named Isaac, and and in Genesis, after chapter 12, we see this grand story about how God works, focusing in really spotlit tight on one family and their sons and daughters after that. So so we see the spotlight on Abraham, and he has a son named Isaac, and the spotlight is on Isaac in this story. And then the spotlight moves to Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and if you've ever heard the 12 tribes of Israel, this is where the 12 tribes come from. One of those tribes was by the name of Joseph, and the spotlight is on Joseph, and the spotlight on Joseph is really harsh. It is bright. It is irritating. You can go back and read this if you want. It's in Genesis. It's a fantastic, beautiful geniusly holy spirit inspired written history of where we come from and joseph he ends up moving his entire family to egypt now we don't think of egypt as a world superpower today but in that day it was it was a world superpower military militarily mighty they ruled a lot they were big time Joseph moves his family to Egypt, and the king of Egypt at the time, he is really impressed with Joseph and the 70 family members he moves into Egypt. And he gives them the land, he lets them be shepherds, and they grow and multiply. And over the next several generations, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, Joseph's sons and daughters and grandkids, they continue to multiply until there's a whole bunch of them. And at the same time, the king of Egypt has passed in succession to the next king and the next king. And there comes a time where there's a king over Egypt who doesn't remember Joseph or his family. He doesn't remember Jacob, Isaac, or Abraham. And he doesn't remember what God did. All he sees is all these may I say it, illegal aliens in his country. And the king goes to the other officials in Egypt and he says, listen, we're a mighty superpower and we go out and conquer other lands, but if we are attacked or attack other people and the Israelites rebel from within, we'll be taken over from within. There's just that many of them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make them slaves. We make all the Israelites slaves and that way they can't fight against us but in slavery the israelites continued to multiply until it came to a point where the king of egypt said we can't have this anymore i've got a solution to the problem we will kill every male born 
And so he ordered the Israelite midwives to kill every male child that was born. But the midwives fear God more than they fear the king. And they don't do what he says. He calls them in. He says, I, I gave you a command, kill the baby boys. What's going on? Why aren't you killing the baby boys? I keep seeing all these baby boys. And the midwives, I don't know if they're lying or telling the truth, but here's their response. They say, the Hebrew women are much more vigorous than the Egyptian women. And they give birth before we get there. I love that line. So the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he says, okay, well then in this case, throw every male-born child into the Nile. It's not going to happen. And this is where we enter the story of Moses. Moses' mom also fears God more than she fears the king. And she gives birth to her son and keeps him secret for three months. But babies grow, and there comes a time where she cannot keep him secret anymore. And this is amazing. It's the only two places in the entire Bible where this word is used. And the genius of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is how it links these giant Bible stories together. And Moses' mom makes an ark. Now, we get translated into a basket into English, but it's the same word that is written in Genesis when Noah built the ark to rescue a family through water. And Moses' mom builds him an ark, a little basket covered in tar, and she places Moses in the ark and sets him in the Nile. And the writer of Exodus is bringing to our attention that ark story where a family of eight was covered by God's grace and rescued through water. And here Moses is, a baby in an ark covered by the hand of God, and he floats down the Nile. Now, we don't know exactly what happens, except it's the providence of God, the hand of God, that's kind of guarding this, uh, guarding this boat and guiding it. But Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's daughter, is in the Nile. And she sees a baby in a basket. Probably she has the response of every good mom. She sees the baby and goes, oh. And she draws him out of the water and says, I'm going to raise this baby. Isn't God awesome that the king of Egypt would order the death of every male son born to the Israelites and now... He's going to raise the person he said to kill in his own palace. I think God just works things out beautifully if we can stick around and trust him long enough. There is great joy in seeing that rescue. That's where Moses is. He's uh, raised for a little while by his mom and then uh, raised in the palace in Egypt as the prince of Egypt. One of Pharaoh's own grandkids. Wouldn't that be cool? Moses grows up. He doesn't want to affiliate with the Egyptians. He wants to be known as a Hebrew. And he commits a crime and runs away about the age of 40. <clears throat> and he's in the wilderness when God shows up. And that's where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Is everybody following along so far? That's good, because I just went over like 100 chapters of Scripture in a couple of minutes. 
I do encourage you to read Genesis and Exodus if you're not. Exodus chapter 3, here's where we find Moses. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the, the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Now Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go see this strange sight, why this bush is on fire and does not burn up. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone to look, he called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. I don't know what it sounded like. I kind of want to think, you know, like, Moses. Why did he have to say it twice? Probably because Moses went, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was scared to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a land that is good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. Verse 9, I struggle with. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. There's three areas that are spotlight in that story about who God is. One is his motives. The other is his mission. The other is vision. Mission and vision always begin with God. That is how he works. But why does God work that way? Well, it's motives. First, the reason why God works the way he does and the reason why God is who he is, the re, well, let me rephrase it. God reveals himself as a God who keeps his promises. The Old Testament and the New Testament could also be called the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There was a covenant made. A covenant is this agreement from God with man about how he's going to act. And God had told Abraham, I'm going to rescue every nation through you. And so when God announces himself to Moses, he is revealing himself as the God who keeps promises. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's calling to mind these great themes that have already started in Genesis, and they're going to continue in Exodus, and they're going to continue all the way in the New Testament. God is who he says he is. He does what he says he's going to do. He keeps his promises. And when God says to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's trying to stir in Moses and stir in us that God has promised, he has created this covenant to bless the entire world. Well, if you are living in slavery and you're oppressed and you're being beat until you work, and if you can't work anymore, you're being beat to death, it could be hard to remember that God keeps his promises to rescue that God's going to bless everyone. But God does keep his promises. And so 
the first thing that we know is one of the motives of God, why he does the things he does, or at least why he reveals about himself, is that he keeps his promises. And then, he's, then he also hears the cries of his people. He says, I hear the Israelites crying out because of their slave drivers. This theme of God knowing and hearing and caring about our suffering is all through the Scripture. In Psalm chapter 34, I love this verse. Psalm chapter 34, verses 17 and 18. Here's what it says. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He hears people who cry out to him for mercy and relief and help. You want to know why God does some of the things he does? He reveals to us that he hears our pain, and he desires to bring comfort. So he keeps his promises. He hears our cries, and this theme is going to carry all the way through Scripture. We even see in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God hears us call to him. Keeps his promises, he hears our cries, and he works in perfect timing. He says, I have come down to rescue them. I have come down. I have come down. That phrase has always bothered me in the Old Testament. I'll tell you why. It's found in a couple places. Why would God, who knows everything and can do everything and can just snap his fingers and make things different, why would he use flawed vessels to do his work? Why would he use angels to do his work? Why would he come down? It almost seems like he needs to know what's going on, but that can't be the truth. Because everywhere else in Scripture, it never leads us to believe that he doesn't know everything. That he is not aware of all things. That he cannot hear the cries of his people from heaven as, as well, just as well as if he was with them in their midst. And so we see uh, several places where God comes down in the Old Testament. God came down to see what was going on at Babylon. God came down and to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians. God comes down uh, when the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah were so evil that God destroyed them with fire from heaven as justice for their rebellion and their, everything they did was evil. Well, why would God come down? Why would he need to? The God who can snap his fingers and make a change is also the same God who is all-knowing, and all-wise, and perfect love. So I have to think about God in this way. If he doesn't snap his fingers and instantly change me in the prayer that I'm crying out to him, then in his infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge and infinite love and infinite care for me, he knows that the snap of fingers is not as good for me that if I were to grow through the change he wants to have happen. 
And so I don't know why God allowed the Israelites to remain in slavery for 400 years when he could have snapped his fingers and they would have been instantly set free. He could have snapped his fingers and all the Egyptians would have died. He could have done anything and yet he allowed them to go through that struggle before he decides to come down. And here is why I think coming down is beautiful. I didn't see it before today and it's always bothered me. God's setting up a theme about how he rescues God's setting up a theme that he is going to be in our midst. He's going to experience our temptation. He's going to experience our suffering. And he's going to rescue us out of himself, experiencing what humans experience. God comes down. He walks with Adam in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. Their relationship is broken, and everywhere where God creates order, we bring chaos, and God comes down to try to restore order. And everywhere where we're in bondage and slavery, God comes down to rescue, and this is a theme all throughout Scripture until we come to Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus Christ did? The Word made flesh, and He has appeared among us. God comes down to rescue is the story of Jesus. And Jesus experiences all of life. He experiences poverty and having no money. He experienced betrayal. He experienced injury. He experienced suffering. He even experienced every kind of temptation. He then experiences the shame of death on a cross. He makes himself as low as any person can be so he can lift everybody up. God comes down to rescue in his perfect timing. This is why God does what he does. This is why he's motivated to love us and care for us and rescue us. He keeps his promises. He hears our cries for mercy and he comes to rescue in perfect timing. If we trust it, if we trust that his timing is perfect. But this spotlight also reveals how God works. God works on mission. He's about redemption and ransom. Those are two words that go together that are found in Exodus. Redemption is the act of buying somebody out of slavery. Ransom is the cost to buy them out. So to have redemption, you have to have the ransom to pay. And we find these terms begun in Exodus. And it travels all the way over into the New Testament. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. But God is on a rescue mission. This is where the church starts coming into play too we'll get to that in just a second and lastly the spotlight on the vision of God not only is he motivated to rescue and then he goes about rescuing but he also takes us to a place of relief and peace I've come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians out of that land into a land that is beautiful and fertile, where they will have peace and relief. The promised land. We've seen any themes in this story that translate into the Jesus story? Isn't this how God continues to work? God is all about keeping his promises, rescuing us out of slavery and even death, and then paying the price that we need to have relief and redemption 
all so that we can be with him in the promised land. He's given us this model of redemption and mission. And we need to recognize that I don't understand why God does this. But God comes down and then he chooses a savior to lead his people to safety. And he does that time and time and time again, working through flawed vessels and lesser powers to bring about his plan of action. So, the God who could have just scooped up Noah and his family and wiped everybody off the face of the earth and then put them back, said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. You're going to rescue your family through water. And the God who could scoop up all the Israelites, kill the Egyptians, and then place the Israelites back in the land, comes down and he raises up a servant, prophet, priest, savior named Moses to lead his people out of slavery and oppression to the promised land. And then God comes down. And he gets in this box called a manger. And he grows up, prepares for ministry to be a priest king to rescue everyone out of spiritual slavery and unite them back to God in peace and relief and joy in the promised land. And his name is Jesus. Then God comes down in the form of the Holy Spirit And he indwells his church. Stuck in a little box in Jerusalem, they begin to go out and spread all over the nations, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and offering healing from oppression, health problems, and pain, uniting them to God through Jesus Christ so that they can enter into the promised land. God always comes down and he always calls his people to go out and he provides the Savior for the world. Where do we fit? Will you answer the call of God? This is the spotlight that gets to go be shined on your own self and your own heart. This is where the church a lot of times messes up on this rescue plan of God. This is how God works. Um, Sometimes there's like a pendulum that swings and it swings all the way over to this side and it says people are physically suffering. Their bondage is that they are hungry and they are hurting. They're in pain. They need clothing. They need shelter. They need medication. And we must rescue them out of that oppression with social justice and help heal them And they spend a lot of time, this is where the pendulum, it swings too far. They spend a lot of time actually bringing physical healing to people and never tell them about Jesus Christ. And they end up physically healed on earth and bound for hell just the same for eternity. And then sometimes the pendulum swings way too far on the other side where the church says, all we have to do is tell them about Jesus and hold out the truth. If they would just commit themselves to Christ and say they believe in Jesus Christ, they will be healed forever because they'll get to go to heaven. You've heard of sex trafficking and slavery. How can a 
11-year-old girl that's raped 15 times a day hear the name of Jesus Christ. And so the church has a tendency to swing over and say, just say the name of Jesus. Don't help in any other way. Just proclaim Jesus. All you have to do is read the Bible and pray. And God doesn't work that way. Somewhere in the middle, just like in Exodus, he wants to rescue people from their pain and suffering here. He does care about social justice. And he also wants them spiritually saved. He does care about their hearts to be changed and transformed to worship the king. When God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, he also had to rescue the Egyptian out of the Israelites. While they're stuck in slavery, all they know is worshiping false gods, because that's what the Egyptians teach them, and slavery working seven days a week and never having time to worship God themselves. And so when they come out of Egypt, they're coming out of physical bondage, but God has to start working on their heart to release them from spiritual bondage. Otherwise, they remain trapped in their spiritual bondage of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, and they never are saved. And so God begins to work on them spiritually as well as physically, and he calls us, the church, to do the same thing. This is how Jesus worked. As Jesus operated, walking along on mission, he not only healed people of their physical problems, but he also healed them spiritually. So the church is called to do both. That's why our elders have said, you know, there's areas of brokenness in our church and in our community we need to focus in on. Not that when we focus in on an area of brokenness, we don't hit other things of, uh, that need healing. But just when we focus in on an area of brokenness and we provide the healing that only the church can provide, we end up healing more people than if we try to do the shotgun approach where we hit, try to hit all areas of brokenness. It's counterintuitive. We think that if we're available for everybody, we'll hit everybody, and we end up not healing anybody. And they said, so let's focus in on three areas we know is going wrong and broken in our church, in our community, and as we focus in on these three areas of financial stress and personal health and marriage problems, we'll actually start healing people in those areas and outside those areas too. And so we've done some things as a church to, to bring about healing in these areas we've had some marriage seminars and we've ha we have a, a double knot marriage ministry where we have couples in our church that will meet with other couples who are struggling in their marriage and they'll just mentor them they'll disciple them in their walk with faith we've the church has done that for years but now we have a kind of a focus on it last year and, and at the beginning of this year we had some financial seminars we're going to do that again to allow people to learn how to be biblical steward be to manage the money god has given them We've done some things for personal health. We did a sermon series about suicide and anxiety and depression and guilt, and we're going to hit that again in 2020. We uh, oftentimes will send uh, church members to Christian counselors to help them work through some of their problems. We had a Zumba class for about six weeks. Now, I didn't go and attend the Zumba class, but there was some physical fitness going on too. We have to help these areas of brokenness in our church, in our community, to bring about relief so we can have spiritual change too. And we focus on spiritual change, which I thought we were good at until this past week, so we can also have physical change. Listen, we need to examine our own hearts to see if 
Christ is actually changing us to look like Jesus Christ. Up until this last week, I thought our church was more mature spiritually than what we are. And I met with a church member who said, I know this is sin, and I'm going to live in this sin, and I'm not going to change. And it broke my heart. The only problem is, it came to my attention, I don't think he's the only one living there. So what that means is, we're being called by God, we're being indwelt with the Holy Spirit to go rescue people from sin slavery, and yet we're not taking the plank out of our own eye so we can see where they're hurting. Don't get me wrong, every person in here is sins and makes mistakes. But the Christ follower is called to, when they sin and it's pointed out to them, to repent and have a heart change. There's a big difference between I messed up and I'll try to do better and feeling guilty about that sin than setting up camp in sin and living in sin and saying, this is okay for me to do. Spotlight can be harsh and bright and burning. And when we open up the word and we read things like, if you forgive others, God will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. And if you don't tremble at that, There's something wrong spiritually in your heart. When you read that the Bible says, do not grumble and complain so that you can be called a child of God, and you don't tremble at that and change and repent, there is something wrong spiritually going on. If you think that you're better, and the scripture says, think of other people better than yourselves, and you don't take that big old log out of your eye, There's something spiritually going on in our church and we need to pray for our church because a little yeast works through all the dough. Will you answer the call to Christ? The call of Christ to repent of your sins and be changed to look like Him. The call of Christ where he says, I'll come empower you to go be the Savior for other people so that they can hear about me, Jesus Christ, like he did with Moses, like he did with the first church. Will you answer that call? Will you answer the call to lead change in your own heart, in your own family, and in our community to bring about relief, to lead people out of suffering, sin suffering or physical suffering, so that they can experience true Relief and peace. A great example of this is next Sunday, there's a prayer walk because we are being 
physically oppressed by a drug problem in our community, and so the church just needs to respond with prayer. That's where we need to start. We've done it before. We're going to do it again, and we're going to keep praying until God continues to send saviors to work with these individuals and can send saviors to start bringing about relief in our community. Are you even willing to pray? Sign-ups for the prayer walk go to my email. Zero emails. We're not willing to pray. We're not willing to come together with other Christians to try to make a difference. Will you answer the call? We need to examine ourselves with communion. And you know, this is found in Exodus. The Passover. Two ways to look at it. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Two ways to look at it. God says this meal will be a lasting ordinance forever. One way to look at it is um, it's just a lasting ordinance within the covenant it's built in. And once the old covenant goes away, that ordinance goes away. Another way to look at it is it continues on to today. It's just been tweaked a little bit by Christ. At the original Passover meal, they had unleavened bread and wine and a lamb. And then Jesus comes along, he kind of tweaks it, and we have unleavened bread on the fruit of the vine. We use grape juice, and the lamb is Jesus Christ crucified. And he says, whenever you meet together, do this in remembrance of me. It's almost like it's lasting forever, like God promised it would. Here's how communion works. If you are a sinner, and you've messed up, and somebody has shown you you've messed up, and you repent, or even if you're waiting to take communion and you repent during communion, if you're a sinner and you've messed up and you have this guilt about it and you want to examine yourself, you want to be made right, that's the perfect time to take communion. That's the beautiful time to take communion because you're reminded of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and that his blood covers over your sin and you're going to be forgiven and he desires you to change and you're motivated by that memory and you're changed spiritually to change. And this is the perfect time to take communion. So if you've messed up and you're a sinner, which should count for just about everybody, this is the perfect time to take communion. But Scripture says we need to take it in a worthy manner. So if you're living in sin, you're camping out in sin, and you're defending sin as right, please don't take communion with us. Because you will infect the body of believers with your hard-heartedness and your sinful lifestyle, and it will spread like gangrene. If you're a sinner, take communion. Seek out that forgiveness that Christ offers. If you're setting up camp in sin, and you've decided not to move from there, please don't take communion until you repent. Let's pray. Lord, I love the spotlight of Scripture, even though it can be really bright and hot. I ask that you would allow me to have a soft heart where I will tremble at your word and I will be in repentance continually. That I will be empowered by your spirit to try to live a holy life. Lord, that my eyes will be open to the pain around me so that I could help provide an exodus, a relief through the name of Jesus Christ so that people will be broken out of 
physical bondage and spiritual bondage both. Lord, I pray for this church, our church, the Wilmington Church of Christ, this body of believers, all the individual souls that are here that we can bind together to form your body. Spiritually connected, where we move and we respond to your call, where we are changing lives and bringing about healing through our prayers and through our words and through our actions. And I ask God that you would move on our hearts to be motivated to do that even more. All during this time of examination where we remember that you died so that we could live. You died so that we could be set free. You died so that we could have the same power through the Holy Spirit that raised you from the dead. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.